welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast. This week we have The Telltale Heart, an episode of Nightfall, first broadcast August 1st, 1980. Nightfall was a Canadian series airing over CBC Radio from 1980 to 1983. Several episodes were also broadcast in the United States over NPR in the early 1980s. This episode is based on the story of the same name by Edgar Allan Poe. Poe was not only born this month in 1809, but it was also in January 1843 that the story first saw publication in The Pioneer, a short-lived Boston literary magazine. It, of course, has been reprinted countless times, including in most of the horror and shudder pulp magazines. If you like Poe, you should check out our latest new pulp release, Ghosts of the Jackal, in which Poe's work plays a significant role. You can find it at Amazon or other bookstores or order directly from us at a discount, and that direct link is in the show notes. The Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast is a Brick Pickle Media production. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.brickpicklemedia.com. You can find a link to all of our books and our entire online store on the website. And just a reminder that if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And with that, on with the show. In the dream, you are falling, lost in the listening distance, as dark locks in. (laughs) Nightfall. Good evening. Tonight, let's join the master dreamer, Edgar Allan Poe. The listener who first heard the telltale heart. True. Nervous. Very, very dreadfully nervous. I had been and am. But why will you say that I am mad? The disease had sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell. Now then, am I mad? Observe how healthily, how calmly, I can tell you the whole story. I was wandering on my way to nowhere. Away from... Ah, that's my secret. We all have secrets. And I came to the old man's place on the edge of this town and asked for a dipper of water. There you are, fella. Best spring water around here. Oh, mm, that's good and cold. I needed that. Shall I fill the dipper again? I could drink another. Have you come far? Yes, far. Much further to go? Don't know. You thin fellow, the sun's burnt your skin to a bark. Here, but, but don't drown yourself drinking this. Mmm, that's good. I should give you something solid, a meal. I eat late after the chores, if you don't mind waiting. I'm used to long waits for meals. I'll give you a hand. Oh, no need. I'm not afraid to work for a meal. Well, all right, 
If you wish, it'll feel good to have a hay fork in my hands again. I've been needing a man around here. Need a man? I can do a full day's work, but toward night it gets heavy. Still, with a man's wife dead and buried last winter, and his three daughters married and gone to their husbands' farms. His two sons off to seek more than this small farm can promise. A man needs work to keep his thoughts from growing heavy. Yes, I know. Uh, well, what's your name? Alfred Bain. Weatherby is mine. The pigs and chickens haven't been fed, nor the team, and I've six cows to milk, and the seventh freshening shortly. Uh, come along then to the barn. I stayed on and worked for the old man. It is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain. But once conceived, it haunted me day and night. Object there was none. Passion there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. For his gold, I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes, it was this. He had the eye of a vulture. His left eye, a pale blue eye with a film over it. Shall we cut hay tomorrow, Alfred? Hay? Yes, we can cut hay, but doesn't the sky say rain? No, that's not a rain sky for around here. It is where I come from. That'll clear by the morning. I can feel rain when it's on its way. I have a way of feeling what's ahead. Do you? Of what's ahead? What is? <laughs> no, I don't want to know. And you can't know everything. Far from it. The weather's enough. Go sharpen the sides. Whenever his pale blue eye fell on me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man. And thus rid myself of the eye forever. It was an evil eye. But Weatherby was very kind to me. No one had been this kind. It was too much to bear. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the whole week before I killed him. Let me carry those horse collars and harnesses, Mr. Weatherby. I'll hook up the team. Oh, no, no. Why should you? Yes, let me. Here, let go the traces. You've more than earned your keep today, and your wages. But not your kindness. Ha! How else should one treat a hired man? My sons thought I was a tyrant. A tyrant? Perhaps I do treat you better than I treated the boys. Now, that is strange. Why do you? I don't know. Because you're not afraid of work. My sons thought they were too clever to work. But I, I didn't treat them so badly. 
Some people should be treated badly. Scoundrels? I've never met a real scoundrel. Some innocent people should be treated badly, too. What an idea. They? They should be treated the worst of all. Why do you say that, Alfred? Isn't that the way life is? Toss that line over. No, no, I'll snap the buckle on here. I'm not an invalid, Alfred. I'm not that old yet. Uh, I'd hate to see you an invalid. I wouldn't want that for you. Nor I. I'd like to do something for you you would like, Mr. Weatherby. What What for? You admired this knife. Could I give you this knife? No, 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 keep it. There's no reason you should give it to me. I've been insulted by people I respected. <laughs> you haven't insulted me yet. Well, why should I? I? I must get on to the elders' meeting. There, horse is all hooked up. Up you go. Ah. Uh. How did I manage without you, Alfred? Gee up. I hope I persuaded you to stay on. Every night, about midnight, I turned the latch of Weatherby's chamber door and opened it, oh so gently. And then, when I had made an opening sufficient for my head, I put in a dark lantern, all closed, closed, so that no light shone out, and then I thrust in my head. When I was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh, so cautiously, just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for seven long nights. Every night, just at midnight. But I found the eye always closed, so that it was impossible to do the work. For it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. And every morning, when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him. Good morning, sir. Do you want the shutters open? Oh, uh... What manner of day is it? Fine day. Warm sun and a little breeze from the east. Uh, yes. Open the shutters. You slept well? Uh, yes. I slept well. Happy to hear that. We start repairing the stone wall to the west field this morning? Yes, I suppose so. Porridge is ready. And the coffee. Uh, hand me my boots, sir. Oh. Alfred, I do not understand you. Understand me? A hard-working, reliable man like you, drifting about. Oh, oh, my back. I'm an old man, I fear. I'm not long, I feel. You're not feeling up to yourself? I don't know. More than likely, it was only a bad dream that left me liverish. What did you dream? Oh, it is gone now. It's good I have you around, Alfred. When Amelia went to her rest last winter, I was willing to go to mine. But lately, her face has grown vague to me. We had a long life together, she and I. And it was good till these last few years when some mold crept in. Which way should I face? Toward rest or restlessness? What am I waiting for? 
<laughs> Wish I knew. Breakfast, breakfast. Get up and everything will look different. Oh, it is easy to make the days look different. The nights are always the same. The same. On the eighth day, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own power, of my sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feeling of triumph to think that there I was, opening the door little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me. For he moved on the bed suddenly, as if startled. Now you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch with the thick darkness, and so I knew he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. I had my head in and was about to open the lantern. Who's there? Who is there? I kept still and said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle. I did not hear him lie down. No, he sat up in bed, listening, just as I have done night after night, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Ah! Uh, ah! Uh. It was not a groan of pain or grief the old man made. Oh no! It was a low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom of the soul—a groan of mortal terror. I knew the sound well. Many a night, when all the world slept, it has welled up from my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo the terrors that distracted me. I knew. But the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. Is it the wind? No, there is no one. What is it? Who is there? No, there is nothing to see but to hear. But I feel. Feel a presence. I've known you were coming for me. Death, the dark shadow. It's the wrong time before the crops are in, and while I've still some business to arrange with people in the town, my house is not in order. Do not surround me this way. I opened a little, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. You cannot imagine how stealthily. Until a single dim ray, like the thread of a spider, shot from the crevice and fell full upon the vulture eye, it was.
was open. Wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it, all dull blue with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. But I could see nothing else of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct, precisely upon the damned spot. Have I not told you that what you mistake for madness is but over-acuteness of the senses? Now, there came to my ears a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. Why do you wait, Death? Why do you wait? You didn't hesitate with Amelia. She had a shawl half-knitted. I have much half-done and less than half. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried to see how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meanwhile, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. I have told you that I am nervous, so I am. And now, at the dead hour of the night, amid the dreadful silence of that old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror, yet... For some minutes longer, I refrained and stood still. But the beating grew louder, louder. I thought the heart must burst, and a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it! What? Go away! I threw open the lantern and dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. For many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there. Many minutes, there was no pulsation. He was stone dead. His eye would trouble me no more. If you still think me mad, you will think so no longer when I describe the wise precautions I took for the concealment of the body. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. I replaced the board so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, <laughs> not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. Huh. 
<laughs> Old man under the planks. You were a good man. If I could have plucked out the evil eye without killing you, that is what I would have done. Don't think badly of me, Mr. Weatherby. I did you a good turn, too. Ridding you of that evil eye. But if I've done any wrong, it's because of that evil eye looking at me. Giving me thoughts no man should have. But I haven't done wrong. I've done good. A great deal of good. And everything is... Who? At the door. At four in the morning. Ah, uh, but what have I now to fear? Nothing. The eye is closed, and the heart is still. Sorry to bother you at this hour. Yes? We're officers of the town's night watch. Is something the matter? We'd like to speak to Mr. Weatherby. Mr. Weatherby? You would like to speak to him, but he is not here. Where is he? The old gentleman has gone visiting in the country. Where? That he didn't say when he left. Perhaps to one of his daughters, but he didn't say. His buggy is in the yard, and his horses in the barn. Oh, yes, he took a ride with some friends of his who were traveling the same way. What friends? That I don't know. Oh, I don't know all his friends. Mr. Weatherby has so many. You're his hired man? Yes. Yeah, I, I've seen him about the town. What brought you here? A rainbow. What's that? Isn't everyone looking for a rainbow? Yeah. Uh, one of the neighbors heard a shriek that sounded like trouble and came to the police office to tell us about it, and we've been ordered to investigate. And uh, search the house. The shriek? Uh, yes, the shriek was from a dream. A nightmare I was having. I dreamt a light from a lantern was shining in my eyes. <laughs> but do come in. Mr. Weatherby will be pleased to learn the police give him such good protection. He has some valuable plate and coins in his cupboards. Come in. We shall. Why is it you're dressed already? I start my chores soon. Your name is Alfred. Alfred what? Bain. Alfred Bain. Uh, search everywhere. Go ahead. Uh, I don't know what you're looking for or what you expect. Uh, robbers? Then you must make a careful search. Let me show you Mr. Weatherby's treasures. Perhaps you'd like to see his chamber, too. C come with me, I'll show you. I I'd hate to have trouble here while Mr. Weatherby's away. There is nothing wrong here. Everything seems in order. Uh, I'm glad you came and looked around. And Is there anywhere else you'd wish to look? No, I think not. Well, sit down. Don't go yet. Uh, rest yourselves. Sit there and here. Uh, I'll, I'll fetch a chair for myself. <laughs> How well you've done your duty. I must commend you. Uh, no, the light of that lamp will be in my eyes there. I'll put my chair here. <laughs> How fine it must be working as a police officer. Protecting the townspeople from theft and... Robbery and violence. Oh, it's a living. I've often wanted to be a police officer. Have you? Well. My 
senses are very cute. I hear the most minute sounds around me. I'm very sensitive to everything. Perhaps I shall still end up as a police officer. That would suit me admirably. When will Mr. Weatherby be returning? Uh, I don't know. Shortly, I hope. There's the oats to cut if this hot sun stays with us. The crops are good this year hereabouts. Excellent. Mr. Weatherby is very pleased with his. He says I brought him luck. A hired man does that sometimes. Oh, but I can't take credit for that. Mr. Weatherby speaks well of you, I hear. Does he? Does he? And Weatherby in the past has been hard to please. Here, take a pipe full of tobacco from my pouch. Uh, no, no. Yes, please do. Oh, thank you. We are not supposed to smoke on duty. <laughs> but the full watch without a pipe is a long time? We'll have to trust you not to inform the captain. Huh? The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease with my chair upon the very spot beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. The officers sat and chatted of familiar things, but ere long I felt myself getting pale and wished them gone. My head ached, and I fancied a ringing in my ears, but still they sat and chatted. The ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distant. The new street lamps in the town have made our job a little easier and more pleasant, especially on very dark nights. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. But out here, on the edge of town, there are not many lamps. And there should be more. Several more, at least. Oh, someday. People are always stumbling into holes and hurting themselves. One day, someone will break a leg. Mm, but these things take time. Ah, the town has come along. Indeed. Yes, I like this town. I hope I can settle down here. Well, why not? Yes, well, why not? Mr. Weatherby certainly needs a good man. He's grown too old to do much of the work around here himself. That's exactly what I feel. Exactly. Mr. Weatherby needs someone, and why not me? He and his sons couldn't get along. Oh, the fighting that went on. A difficult man. I, I don't understand that. He and I have never had an argument. We, we, we've gotten along very well. Scarcely a cross word. You must be a rare fella. No, it's Mr. Weatherby who's the exceptional man. He's had his troubles. His old family leaving and his wife dying, the aches and pains of old age, and losing the sight of his left eye. His left eye? He's blind in that left eye? You didn't know? No, I... No, I... No, I did not. That's why it stares that way and sometimes wanders on its own. He can't see out of it, his left eye. Not a speck. No doubt I grew very pale. I realized the noise was not within my ears. It increased. It was a low, dull, quick sound, such a sound as a watch makes. When enveloped in cotton, I gasped for breath. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. 
I rose and argued about trifles in a high key and with violent gestures. Why would they not be gone, those officers? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise... Steadily oh, increase. Mr. Bain, sit down. I'm not going to argue with you over which line of thoroughbred has produced the better horse. No, no, don't give in. Argue with me. Argue what? I, I, whatever. You made a statement and now you won't stand by it. You won't back it up. For my life, I can't remember what the statement was I made that started this whole thing. Nor can I. The two of you? Then I'm being made a fool of. No, no, we're simply talking. Can't we talk? Talk, talk, yes, talk. Say anything you like, and I won't disagree with you. I can be as sociable as anyone else and agree, no matter what is said. You do not need to convince me either. What do you wish to say? Oh, come now. One doesn't go at talk as boldly as that. One slips into it. Uh, I like talk to slide in of its own accord, don't you? I don't like talk that's too careful either or touchy. Easy talk is what I like. Ah, easy talk and the fire and smoke. Oh, stop it. This chatter and the smiles, those smiles, yours and yours. Is it possible you don't hear that? Hear what? Listen to it. Louder, louder, louder. What? You hear both of you. You suspect. You know. You're making a mockery of my horror. I cannot bear your hypocritical smiles any longer. I must scream or die. What's taken hold of you? What's wrong with you? Villains! No more pretense. I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here. It's the beating of his hideous heart. It... It has stopped. Here. Let's see what is under those planks. It stopped. You have just heard Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart. Dramatized for radio by Len Peterson. The narrator, Alfred Bain, was played by Richard Monet. And Old Man Weatherby was Frank Perry. The two policemen were Sean Mulcahy and Sandy Webster. Our recording engineer is John Jessup, with sound effects by Bill Robinson. The senior script editor is John Douglas, and our production assistant is Nina Callahan. Nightfall is produced and directed for CBC Radio by Bill Howell.